we're going to start the adult lesson now, so if uh, we can take conversations outside of the hall, that would be great. Joseph. Alright, so today, you know, obviously we're getting started with uh, the Great Lent uh, coming up here. And uh, so this talks a little bit about the Great Lent, but a little bit more about something that's maybe more important to our, you know, that is very much a theme in the Great Lent, uh, but should be maybe a theme throughout the year. And uh, the, the name of the talk is The Old Theme is Dead and Gone. And the subtitle is Lent and the Art of Self-Mortification. And we'll talk a little bit about what all this means, right? So the old me is dead and gone and the art of self-mortification. And this is really, you know, within the context of the Orthodox faith. And why is this important? Okay, so the first, the first little bubble there is called iGen. Like, and, you know, this is the I generation. This is the generation of the selfie, this is the generation of me, right? I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, you hear all these like little blurbs that drive me absolutely insane, like always speak your truth, like, you know, because your truth is the most important one to speak all the time. And, uh, or, you know, be you, do you, for you, you know, there's all these little mantras that are just floating around society today. And like I said, they just like drive me absolutely nuts when I hear them. Like um, more self-love, right? I'm not saying that you know taking care of yourself and making sure that you're in good mental state and good mental health is a bad thing because it's not. But there's this theme of like more self-love, like like there's a primacy to you over everything else. And then uh, you know we all just want to be seen and heard, no exceptions, right? This is what we get fed over and over again. This is what's on social media. This is what we hear labbed on on TV. This is what we even start to hear from our friends and neighbors and so forth. I'm just speaking my truth. I just want to be seen by him. I just want you know to, to do me. All this stuff just becomes very pervasive and it's not healthy and it's not good, right? And I'm gonna to get to why it's not healthy and not good. Again, I'm not talking about mental health. I'm not talking about like making sure that you're in a, a good place, you know, in terms of, of those things. That's of course very important. I'm talking about just like the attitude of, of our generation, which is very me focused. It's all about me. And it, you know, this is just a funny cartoon I found with me in the center of the universe. And then the next ring is my stuff. And then the, the next ring after that is very important for everybody to know about stuff I ate. And then, you know, there's another ring that's stuff about me, you know, and then at the final, like, you know, like hinterland of the universe is others, right? It's like, it's like tiny and like, it's, it's not, it's unimportant. And like, really this should probably be, a lot of this should be reversed if you really think about it. And uh, so we go on to this idea of like this, this, this time of something that's kind of become like a self-worship. We've kind of started to worship ourselves. You know, I saw a website that called, called the self, is the, the, the worship of the self is the fastest growing religion in the world. 
and, and it, it really has become. I mean, you can all see like little alters and pedestals. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I mean, I don't know why this is because I'm not a psychologist, but you know, if you have a photograph of, of a group of people and you're in it, where do your eyes go to first? You look at yourself first. I even do this with my kids, right? Like, like there's a picture of my kids, the picture's clearly about my children. And then, and then the first thing I look at is how I look in the picture, because that's the most important thing. And you know, Sherry very kindly, like when we're, when we're taking family photos, I always ask her what I should wear, and she's like, no one really cares what you wear. <laughs> and so she centers me. She's, she's my journey through Lent. But, um, so, so that's it. That's this idea of self-worship, and it's become, you know, one, one, one author said, here's the problem with this cult of self-worship. Besides uh, the previous problem of being rebellion against God, when we try to be our own sources of truth, we slowly drive ourselves crazy. When we try to be our own six, uh, sources of satisfaction, we become miserable. When we become our own standard of goodness and justice, we become obnoxiously self-righteous. When we seek self-glorification, we become more inglorious. Why? It's simple. We are not God. We were never meant to trust in or be defined by, satisfied in, and captivated by ourselves. We were made to revere someone infinitely more interesting and awesome than ourselves. And I, I really like that. You know, it, it, it decenters the focus from us to where it should be, which is God. So here we are at Lent, and thank God for the great Lent. And why is this? And why does the church prescribe this? Why does the church have this? I mean, couldn't we just say, okay, let's just celebrate? And, and the, the important thing with the way that our church celebrates, and Orthodox churches in general celebrate Lent, is it's not just the commemoration. We're not just talking about, like, oh, this is when Jesus uh, fed the multitude, and then he gave the, the Sermon on the Mount, and then... You know, he previously he was baptized by by Saint John, and then he you know was crucified, you know, crucif Last Supper, crucified, and then resurrected. It's not a commemoration. I mean, obviously it is a commemoration, but that's not the point of the Great Lent and the way the Church lives the Great Lent. The Great Lent is supposed to be experienced, and if you think about it, I was I was always fascinated, and this is kind of like the image I use for this is if, you know, you go to, like, ancient, uh, you know, old parts of Italy, or, you know, the, the, the ancient world, and you see this, like, wall of, like, plaster, right? But you know that there's some, like, glorious mural behind the plaster. And you know that there's something beautiful to see behind that. So what you do, you very carefully, the archaeologists and the, the, the anthropologists go, and they kind of, like, chisel away at the plaster, making sure they're not damaging what's underneath. And... At the end, they're left with this spectacular mural. And that's kind of like us, right? Every Lent, we need to be chiseling away at the plaster that's on top, the self-glorification, all the sins, all the problems we have, all the things that take us away from Christ, and we need to see what's underneath. And we'll find out what's, un we'll find out what's underneath at the end of this. But there's something much more beautiful than what we're presenting there. And Great Lent is the opportunity for us to actually start chiseling away and brushing away the debris to reveal what is, what is better there. So each Lent is the opportunity to do this, and it's on a yearly basis, and it's a cyclical thing, because the Church wants us every year to be a little bit better, every year to be a little bit closer to God. And so thank God for Great Lent. And, you know, I, I have to 
I actually just found this Freedom, the Freedom Tour 2022 with one of my favorite bands, Journey. I have to. Um, and uh, so, you know, we, we look at the, the journey through Mertens, right? What is the journey through Mertens? We see the beginning of Christ uh, with his ministry, with his baptism, you know, um, and then with St. Saint, Saint John the Baptist, then going through the crucifixion, and then at the end, the resurrection. So each one were presented with this, this image, these images, these narratives of Christ's journey in his own life. And we look at it, and we try to um, we, we try to expand expand on it, to, to internalize it, to see what it means to us, and to have it change us. So you know, there's that popular bumper sticker: "He is greater than I," right? And that's one of the one of the central messages of, of the Great Lent, and really should be one of the central messages of our life: He is greater than we are and we should be focused more on him than ourselves. And, you know, St. John the Baptist uh, s states this when, when they come and say to him, look, there's more following Jesus than are following you, right? And what does he say? He responds very appropriately, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that's a, that's a great mantra for us to use for our lives. He must increase, and I must decrease. If you are headed in that, I'm telling you that just based on what I've read in the Church Fathers and what I've experienced and what I've seen in people who have gone this route, that's the route to go. You know, you decrease and he increases. Um, and so we'll read from Philippians uh, 1, verse 21, Henry. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So that's, that's always been uh, something that I've partnered with, with the verse from John the Baptist. And this is St. Paul saying, for me to live, or for me to, sorry, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, what is, what is he talking about? I mean, yes, he's in a sense talking about his own physical death, but he's also talking about the spiritual death, the death of self in, in, in his life. And he, he points out to us that in, in dying to self, He's allowing Christ to live and present himself in him. And that's, that's one of the things we should be targeting to do, is to, to, to manifest Christ in our lives, to, to, to the self-mortification of the death to self. And then we go to Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, having given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, 
the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Uh, until then? Sorry? Oh, okay. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and So there's, it's not just that we're putting behind the old things, we're, we're getting it replaced with, with something new, the, the, you know, the, the fruits of the, of the new garment, of the, of the new clothing, we're putting on Christ. It's not just the church is telling us, stop doing these things, it's giving us, it's giving us the replacement for it, it's giving us the anecdote, the, the, the response to what we're putting off. And that's uh, further... Uh, discussed in, in Colossians 3. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all those things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Yeah, so, and, and you know, I mean, what, who, who is that talking about? I mean, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, who does that describe? That describes Christ, right? So by disrobing the old man, by putting away what's old and tarnished, the sins, the, the greed, the guilt, the, you know, the, the anger, whatever, whatever it is in your case, and, and slowly allowing that to have a way, we put on a new man, and that new man is Christ. And the attributes of Christ are compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and above all else, love, right? So we, it's a pretty good trade, right? Trading that garbage for this glory. And so that's, that's the, the idea of the Great Lent, is to get us to be able to work towards that over the course of our lives on a yearly cyclical basis. But how do we do that? I mean, it's great, yes, okay, this is the objective, we all know that, thank you very much for wasting the first 10 minutes of our time, that's fantastic. <laughs> You know, he just gave us every Sunday school lesson that we ever wanted to hear, but uh, or didn't want to hear rather. Uh, and so, but 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 how do we do this? What's the what's the source to this? And you know, growing up, I you know I tried to do it on my own and was very 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 unsuccessful in doing so, and I'm still unsuccessful, but maybe a little less unsuccessful. And so the, the answer to this, it, one of the answers to this in our in our faith in our church, is actually. Fasting, right? Fasting. And as a young child and teenager and even college student, I looked at fasting as like, okay, what's the big deal? I'm just not eating food. Who cares? Like, why is that a big deal? This seems like exactly what they're talking about in the Bible, that the Pharisees do, and that are, they're just doing to like be part of a faith or part of a religion or part of whatever. And that's all I, that's all I gave it. And then I got married. So in my family, we didn't really do a lot of fasting. My mother did because she was the lone saint of the group. But the rest of us didn't. And 
So we, you know, it just wasn't something that was emphasized in my household. But in Sherry's household, it was emphasized. And so I started fasting when I got married. And, uh, you know, she wasn't eating stuff, so I guess I wasn't going to eat stuff either, right? So, uh, but I still didn't really get it. I still kind of was just doing it to do it, not to eat certain foods, just the habitual practice. Well, this is what the church wants. I'm going to be a good cop and fast like everybody else. And so I don't get the stink eye when I'm at a group, group you know, a gathering and like I have like a piece of like meat or something. So, you know, what is fasting? Fasting is the voluntary abstaining from something for a limited amount of time. It's not fasting if you plan on giving it the thing up for good, though at the end of fasting you may decide not to reincorporate it back into your life. Depending on what is being fasted from, fasts can last from days to weeks. Some people will fast from all solid food but allow themselves to drink juice. Others will fast from certain kinds of food. Orthodox Christians, for example, uh, fast each Wednesday and Friday from meat, fish, dairy, olive oil, and wine. You can also fast from non-nutritive things like technology or certain behavioral habits. But most basically and traditionally, however, fasting involves abstaining from all food and caloric drinks, sometimes even water. So that's just a, a generic uh, definition of what fasting is. It really talks about the food, the practice, the actual nuts and bolts of fasting from certain foods. And you know, what are the, what are the benefits of, of fasting? Well, uh, it teaches us that discomfort is not equal to something bad. That sometimes it's actually okay to be uncomfortable. And fasting is arguably the most countercultural of the spiritual disciplines, right? It's because it's not focused, it's, it's focused on depriving the me instead of feeding the me, right? Um, in a time of unprecedented conveniences, when every, at, when every atmosphere is climate controlled, food can be ordered with the press of a button, entertainment can be perfectly curated to personal taste, and we feel entitled to satisfy every desire immediately, anything uncomfortable seems like a wholly unnecessary annoyance. We expect to be ever full, ever satiated. Yet fullness isn't always good, and emptiness isn't always bad. The constant craving for pleasure can be detrimental and occasional discomfort can be exactly what we need, right? And I do this with my kids, you know, like they, they scrape their knee and, and like, or no, well that's me. I'll, I'll do one that's not as mean. But like, like you know, they're like, Dad, I'm, I'm hot. Or like, I'm cold in the back of the car. You know, it's like the climate control, every seat has its own like climate. And I'm like, I'm like, listen, it's not that bad. You're fine. We're gonna, we're gonna make it home. We're only like two minutes. I don't have to change the air condition right now. And it's just, it's just getting them used to the idea that that not everything is gonna be presented at their fingertips. Not everything should be controlled or changed at the slightest hint of discomfort. Or like, you know, they don't want to eat something because they don't have a certain sauce with it. I mean, they've got to get over that, right? And so, we too need to get over these things that the, the slight inconveniences, the slight things that are not comfortable in our lives, and sometimes it's okay to sit in that discomfort, sometimes it's okay to experience that discomfort and, and have, it, have it affect you rather than you always controlling and affecting everything else. Um, so what are the fasting, other fasting benefits? Well, there's physical and health. Everybody knows now the big trend is intermittent fasting, and there's been studies done on this, and you know, yes, it does 
it, it does provide physical benefits. There are physical benefits to fasting. There's no doubt about it. It's been shown in a lot of scientific scientific literature. It's been done, you know, and and I, interestingly enough, most faiths in the world have some element of fasting. You know, Jainism, Hinduism, Islam, you know, Judaism, Christianity. They all incorporate some sort of fasting in their in their faith, and maybe they knew something about the body that we just took a long time to figure out now. There is some physical and health benefit to fasting. Um, it strengthens the will. It intensifies prayer, right? So how does it strengthen the will? Obviously, you're controlling what you can and cannot have, and so that's a, a way to strengthen the will. And there's there's uh, not just in terms of food. If you if you find yourself in periods of fasting, you'll find yourself more able to control other things in your in your life as well. It's a very interesting process that occurs. Um, it intensifies prayer, which of course is very important. Um, it fosters gratitude and humility. If you are depriving yourself of something, it allows you to to to, to be humble and say, I don't need this right. I, you know, this is not something I need right now. This is not something I have to have. It allows you to kind of bend to the will of something else besides yourself. Um, there's a shared communal purpose in fasting. When we first fast together as a congregation, Abuna just talked about fasting and prayer for uh, those folks in Ukraine who are suffering right now. There's a communal aspect to it. And then it evokes charitable, char charitable deeds and sympathy. If you realize what you are depriving yourself of that others would love to have even a bit of that. Right, you're at the dinner table with your kids and they don't want to eat what you're putting on the table. And the first thought I always have is that if I sent this across the world to a family that's having mud pies for dinner, you know, they would they would do anything to have what's being put in front of you. And all these things are good. All these things are good. But I'm gonna tell you that none of these things are actually why we fast. These are all great things about fasting, these are all great things that are byproducts of fasting, the health benefits, the ability to, to intensify your prayer, give you more self-control, enhance your willpower, the shared communal purpose. Um, but the, the real purpose of fasting is to deny the self and to allow Christ to live in you, right? That's the purpose of fasting. So when we fast, we're etching away it's a tool, it's not the only tool in our faith to do this, but it's a very important tool, and one we should never take for granted. Fasting is to uncover, is to help us put on a new man, is to allow us to deny the self so that we can let, so that we can decrease and he can increase, so that we can put on the new man. We can put away the old man, the old man is dead and gone, and the new man comes and is what is present in us, right? And. You know, when I started looking at fasting in this way, it became infinitely more meaningful to me because I realized this was at the crux of my faith. The, the, the walk of the Christian, Orthodox Christian, is, to, is, to, is, is a walk of self-mortification, whether we want to admit it or not. Our goal in this life is to resemble Christ. Our goal in this life is to become Christ-like. And the only way we become Christ-like is by putting away the old man and putting on the new man. And fasting is a tool that is indispensable in this process. It's not something that I, I don't know if this is correct or not, but in my estimation, may not even be possible to do without the help of the aid of fasting. And so when we're fasting during Lent, hopefully we get the health benefits, hopefully we get this shared sense of, of purpose. We, yes, we pray for those who are suffering. We, 
give alms as is supposed to be closely tied to the Great Lent, um, and do all these things. But at the end, at the end, the end, the end, we know in our hearts that we fast because we are trying to uncover the image of Christ within us. And that is, that is really the goal of not only the Great Lent that we see on a yearly basis, but should be our walk throughout the course of our lives. And that's really all I have today, but I thought it was hopefully something that we can maybe each internalize and think about as we go through the Great Lent and when we're fasting and understand, maybe give a little bit more of a heightened purpose to fasting. At least it was for me when I came to that realization and realized it wasn't about just depriving myself or strengthening, strengthening my will. I mean, who cares about strengthening your will if it's, not, if it's not for the purpose of becoming closer to Christ? Who cares about your health if you're not becoming closer to, to Christ? Who cares about a shared sense of community purpose? I mean, all these things are good, but it's not the point of our lives. The point of our lives is to, is to put out Christ, is to become Christ-like, and to be with Him ultimately. And that is, that is the beauty of the great Lent in our faith. Thanks. Anybody? Any questions or comments or thoughts? Well, one thing that I, I think about is, is like the importance of the necessity of replacing replacing uh, the fast with Christ because it's not a matter of starving yourself if you're not replacing it with God because I know for me if I starve myself then I'm desperate for anything I'll eat anything I'll, I'll consume anything or I'll even you know oh maybe maybe go overboard than what I would normally do if I wasn't casting. And that goes towards sin too. So the importance of replacing that 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 hunger with, with Christ is, is, is so important that you may as well not fast if you don't do that. Yeah, so Mike was talking about replacing the hunger with, with Christ and that 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 is the, the point of it. I mean the other thing that I didn't touch on that I, I wanna that, that reminded me of is just there are other ways to fast. For instance, Pope Carolus talks about fasting with the tongue, as do many other of the, the church fathers. But he he says it's better to fast. It's better than fasting from food is fasting from the tongue. So figure out whatever it is that's making you self-focused, me-focused. Figure out what that is and fast. Try to fast from those things. If you're somebody who always has to interject and. Like you hear somebody talking about something and you're the guy who always says, well, 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 I know about that. I read about that yesterday in the news and I'm educated and I know, I, I, I give my two cents on this. Or if there's a family conflict and you have to be the one who has to intervene and like solve and problem solve. Sometimes it's better in this period of Lent is to not talk. Is to just stay back and, and, and be silent. Listen to other people for maybe once in your life. Like I can take my own advice for it, right? It's like, that, that's one of the things that I've tried to do in the past fasting because I realize sometimes I have a tendency to like to hear my own voice, right? And so, so sometimes I, during Lent, I'll take a step back and purposefully not comment on things and let other people talk and let, you know, let the room actually be filled with other thoughts than my own for, for once in a while, you know? So that, that's, there's an irony here. Um, anybody else? Looks like the invasion of the children are coming. Alright, well, so if nobody has any other comments, thank you very much. And uh, maybe we can close in prayer. So.